think at Furman, I ended up doing like a lot on my own, just thinking, oh, I have to do all this stuff to be good. So I ended up overdoing a lot of things that I ultimately was kind of wearing myself out trying to get all this stuff done and just in my head to have an edge on everybody. But I think a big factor now is just like I'm actually letting myself recover and rest and I go into every race feeling super good and super fresh because I like have taken the time to focus on like letting my body relax and only stressing it out when it needs to be stressed. I think that's kind of been a big factor. I found that giving myself actual ample time to recover and like rest has been like the biggest change for me. I think it's a big factor to the success I'm having now. What's up, Morning Shakeout listeners? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and my guest this week is Frank Lara. Frank is a professional runner for the Roots Running Project out of Boulder, Colorado. He also works part-time for Strava as a community management representative. Most recently, Frank paced 20 miles of the Marathon Project at sub-209 pace, just a couple weeks after running a massive personal best of 27.44 in the 10,000 meters on the track. In 2020, he was named the U.S. 15K champion a few months after the winner of the race was sanctioned by USADA for a doping violation. I enjoyed this conversation, which we recorded back in December, just a couple days before Frank's pacing assignment at the Marathon Project. We talked about transitioning from collegiate to professional running, his biggest learnings as a pro, and developing the confidence to compete at the highest level of the sport. He also told me about learning how to rest, chasing his curiosities, and a lot more. A big thank you to Tracksmith for their continued support of the podcast into this new year. To start 2021, Tracksmith continues their tradition of encouraging no days off. Not as a race towards injury, but as an appeal for moderation. Leave a little in the tank every day so you can come back strong tomorrow. Their new No Days Off collection is cold weather gear designed to make that commitment a bit easier with warm layers, windproof tights, and accessories to get you out the door. I'm personally a huge fan of the lined Reggie half tights. Yes, half tights with a liner and a reflective sash on the side if you need to be seen in the dark. I promise you that once you go with the aligned Reggie half tights, you will never go back to traditional half tights. The built-in liner is a game changer. No need to wear anything else underneath it, and it won't bunch or chafe whether you're running fast, long, or somewhere in between. Tracksmith is offering new customers $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more when you use the code MARIO15 at checkout. That's MARIO15 when you check out at tracksmith.com. Okay, let's roll right into this one with Frank Lara. Okay, I'm going to get my most burning question out of the way first. I was looking at some photos from the track meet a couple weeks ago where you ran a big personal best in the 10,000 of 27.44, and I've, I've got to know, what happened to the mustache? <laughs> Um, well, what I've been telling people is that I looked in the mirror one day and thought that it started to wear me. So I decided it was time for it to go. 
<laughs> How long had you been rocking that stash before you shaved it off? Well, I started growing the beard in like March, April of 2019. Mm-hmm. So just over a year. Now, what's the real reason that you shaved it off? <laughs> that is the real reason. I just didn't recognize who I was anymore. Noah Drotty wasn't getting jealous? <laughs> no, I well, I did often look at Noah's mustache and think, wow, I can't compete with that. <laughs> I don't want to be compared to him. <laughs> well, talk to me about that race. That 2744 was something like a 25 or 26 second PR for you, which I mean was just from a few months ago and it's over a minute faster than you ran when you were in college. Now you're just 16 seconds shy of the Olympic standard. Are you surprised with the progress that you've made at this stage of your pro career? It was kind of a shock. I mean, I've been working for that and like ultimately going into that race, I really wanted to get the Olympic standard and We'd already run a fast time this year in the 10, and that was kind of like something to be happy about for the season and try to get better the next year. And then when we heard about this meet coming up, I was like, wow, I get another shot at it and just kind of started, kept training for it. And going into it, I was just thinking nothing to lose, everything to gain. And so I stuck on as long as I could and about eight, seven laps or so to go, uh, the pace started quickening up a little bit and when the leaders were accelerating, I kind of fell off a bit and started slowing down, which is my run regret. I wish I had run faster, but it's all different in hindsight, but I think I'm in a good position to look forward to the next opportunity I get with a lot more confidence. So do you think you left a little something out there on the track? Not really. I mean, I think I realized where I'm at and I think it gave me a good, indication of what I have left to do still. Now, it's really rare that anyone's racing track, outdoor track, especially in December and chasing Olympic standards, but this has been a really weird year. And yours, I don't want to say started out, but where it left off before the pandemic hit, I mean, you ultimately ended up winning a national title, uh, which we can get into later in this conversation, like early March. If this were a typical year, what would the fall have looked like for you? Had you and your coach discussed like what 2020 was going to look like had a pandemic not hit us? Yeah, I mean, post the 15K championships, we were kind of like focusing on like doing like the Boston Marathon or the 5K there and like just like a few other road races. And then like suddenly everything started getting canceled and just kind of, I mean, I, the plan was to do a fall marathon, but with just everything being canceled, we just kind of had to pick and choose which whatever opportunities came our way. And fortunately, where in Colorado, there's been like a lot of like smaller things like near us that kind of like have popped up sporadically that fortunately we've been able, I've been lucky enough to get invited to. So I like was still able to get a season out of the whole situation, but I... Ultimately, nobody wants which the pandemic to have happened. But like looking back on it, if it hadn't, I wouldn't have had the season and year that I've had because everything, all the races would have been different. I wouldn't have had the track opportunities that I've had. And ultimately, my goal for 2020 was to be in a position to qualify for the Olympics. And 
looking back on it, I don't think that would have been a realistic goal had it actually happened in 2020. But now that I've had like time to catch up to my competitors, it's seems a lot more plausible. So before the pandemic canceled everything, you still were going to target the summer track trials in Eugene, 10,000 meters, I'm guessing. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that's your best event? I think it's my best event so far. Um, <laughs> I think um, that I, my, I've had a lot of success on the roads and prior to the two 10Ks on the track I ran, I hadn't really had any fast or comparative track times. And like now I'm in a position where I do. So it's just kind of like I, I think any distance above 5K, I am fair game to compete and be at a good level. What are your thoughts on road racing? It's not something you get to do much as a collegiate athlete, if at all, but you won a national title earlier this year. You've dabbled in some other smaller events. What do you think about the roads? I absolutely love racing on the roads from just like the atmosphere atmosphere of like being in just like a huge field of people from like the elites to like the whole community that's there to like also just the whole event of it and like traveling and um, getting to know like the race directors and like the, all the volunteers that are putting everything on. It's really cool to see how much work goes into those events. Cause like, I mean, not to say like track events are easy to put on, but I think uh, it's a lot more to appreciate when you're like, have all these streets blocked off for you and like have all this stuff. And like, it's from college, I like kind of rooted against my competitors and like now, like I've gotten to like know them and like actually spend time with them. Cause like all of our meals and stuff, we're all at the same hotel. We're all kind of hanging out prior to pandemic, obviously. But, um, now there, I like see them all as like, I don't want, I want them all to succeed, but I, I want to succeed a little bit more. It's kind of like <laughs> how I look at it. When do you remember that first flipping for you? When you started looking at your competitors as people that you wanted to see see succeed and not someone that you felt like you just had to pummel into the ground? <laughs> I mean, I think it was just following college because like, I think I don't I don't know how other teams felt but like I think on my team we just like thought everyone else was the enemy and we like kind of just like focus on us kind of thing and like since now that we're all kind of pros and on like equal footing we all I think we all have like a mutual respect for each other of like we're all trying to do the same thing and we're all putting a lot of work into it and like there's no hard feelings going into races or after races cuz everyone's just like trying to do their best and it's just uh I don't know. I they've become more than a face and a name now because I've like actually had conversations with a lot of my competitors and like I've hung out with them. So it's just kind of like it's cool to to go to races and like compete with the people with the people you know and not just like strangers. Were you closed off when you were in college? <laughs> no, I mean I, I had that kind of relationship with my like own teammates, but like we never really we didn't really know uh hang out or talk to many of the other teams, but like Aaron Templeton and I kind of went back and forth with like a lot of 
that comp- competitive nature and just like rooting for each other, but also wanting to beat each other. Take me back a little over a year from now when you graduated from Furman. You had run 28 high in the 10K. And I'm curious, what was it like being on like an on-the-cusp guy coming out of college who isn't going to get a big shoe deal and has to decide whether or not to continue chasing the dream? It was definitely hard. I, at the time, I like knew I wanted to keep training. I knew it was what I wanted to keep doing. And because I'm super passionate about running and just love the sport just for the sake of running and competing. And I, my teammate Aaron had had all this success. And I like in practices and training, we like, I always felt that I was just as good as he was. So like, I just honestly felt like I had, hadn't had my like breakthrough race yet. And I I think I just put a lot of faith in that. That was, that was going to happen. I just needed to keep working at it. And coming out to Boulder was kind of just a, a bet in, in myself and a bet on um, my coach who I known had known prior, but I hadn't really considered being coached by him until like the end of my, uh, my fifth year at Furman and it's just kind of all culminated into everything working out (laughs) and just it's been a good transition take me through that decision making process at the end of your collegiate career how did you decide on Boulder as the place that you wanted to be and Richie Hansen and Roots running as the team and coach that you wanted to run for I So I've been coming to Boulder for a, the Boulder running camps, which is a camp for high schoolers that is put on, um, by Jay Johnson. And I've been coming to Boulder every summer since I was, since the summer after my freshman year of high school. And like, I came to camp all three years as a camper and then the following five years as a counselor. And I, I love I love it here so much. And it was always kind of like, it'd be so cool to live and train here in Boulder where everyone that's good, like has either been trained at or like has lived here for an extended period of time. So it was just kind of always kind of a dream home for me. And it's very surreal to actually be here and to like look around and think when I was a high schooler, I like dreamed of being here and training at the level I'm training at and running at the level I'm at. Um, so the place kind of already had decided itself on its own. I like knew I wanted to come here. Um, and I had known Richie from, he had spoken at the camp. So I like, we kind of had knew of each other. Um, and when I like reached out to him and like about actually being coached by him, um, our first conversation went really well. I, I was a health sciences major at Furman and I was very interested in like human performance and like did a lot of research in that area. And, uh, the way Richie talked about training was just kind of like on a very like scientific understanding of it. And that was just kind of like what drew me in. And I don't know, it's really cool to have just like full trust in everything that I'm told to do blindly. (laughs) And I think that's just kind of like, I knew I would have that with him from just the first conversation. So it's just kind of all worked out. Did you explore any other groups or talk to any other coaches before you got out to Boulder? 
I did a few, and ultimately, um, the main reason I like decided against those groups was just the location. I mean, I didn't really talk to any of the other groups in Boulder, so just like knowing where I wanted to be, I think was like ultimately more important than who I was being coached by because like I knew the kind of environment I wanted to be in, and I knew like what i what i thought at least would would thrive under and just kind of this location and has just been everything i could have ever asked for what kind of environment were you looking for specifically i've come here to boulder like every summer for the past eight nine years and uh just the idea of training at altitude altitude was always like a big on my mind and the city was always just kind of like a really cool, like niche place to be in. Um, Furman university is located in Greenville, South Carolina, which has like a similar, like small town, but like, or small city, big town vibe. And that, that was kind of like what I was looking for in a place. Did you have any, sponsorship options to consider when you were leaving school i'd love to understand the thought process behind how you were going to make it work as a professional runner upon graduation (laughs) i had zero prospects that i knew of um it was very much i was going to move somewhere find a job and figure out what i was doing and actually when i following the NCAA track championships, I figured out how to be an Uber and I did Uber and like live for a few months before actually moving out just to like get some money to like save up. And it wasn't much. I like had blown through all of it. Like by the time I moved here in the, in just the move. So it was just kind of like, uh, I kind of don't have anything right now. I need, we need to do something. Um, fortunately my, uh, significant other we both moved out to colorado together from greenville and she kind of supported me along the way and like she's now doing school and we're kind of like supporting each other so it's just been i don't know i definitely wouldn't be able to do this without like the people in my life they're kind of the real sponsors (laughs) at the moment but uh yeah well i know you're working for strava now how did that position come to be I mean, when I first moved out here, I, my degree was in health sciences and I just kind of threw (laughs) applications or wherever I could. And just kind of, I was looking for something that would allow me to train at the same level I was doing in college at the end of college and also, uh, be able to sustain myself with a steady income and, Ultimately, Strava ended up being one of the first few places I applied to. And um, I was fortunate enough that um, they, <laughs> my manager told me that we were t- really taking a chance on you because I had no like customer service experiences, really. And <laughs> he ended up giving me a call and hiring me. And it was just kind of like, oh, wow, I can't believe it. And I, I don't know, it's... I, I, I want to say a, a lot of it's just a testament of like hard work and putting my head down. But I feel like honestly, like I've gotten really lucky and finding the opportunities I've gotten because with this job, I've been able to kind of work my own hours. It's all, I mean, everyone's remote right now, but 
in the before times, it was kind of a remote job or if I want to go into the office. So it's just kind of like working on my computer and just kind of like whenever I'm feeling and it's been a really cool workplace because like everyone kind of everyone there kind of understands what I'm doing and the like level of dedication it's taken to get me this far and they really appreciate um how I'm also able to like help our team out with um the day-to-day Strava stuff. What is your specific role? I am a community management representative. So if you were to go into the app or email our support email, it would it might make its way to me if I find the email on time. But uh, yeah, just any kind of troubleshooting questions or general use or if things aren't don't seem like they're working the way they should, I I'm your guy. Are you full time? I am part time. So no. And do you have to supplement that with other work? Or are you able to make it work between that and the other support that you had mentioned previously? With just the part-time job, I've been able to make things work pretty easily. Um, it's definitely helped to have won a US title and gotten some income through that and just like sprinkling of other income from like other races and stuff. Um, but uh, I'm officially like self-sustaining <laughs> and like to now support the other people in my life, which is nice. Talk to me a bit about the national title that you won this year. So that race was in early March and initially you had finished second to Harufi and he was later sanctioned for a doping violation and you were named the national champion. What kind of doors did that open for you? I think it opened <laughs> less doors than it would have if I had won on the day, which is kind of rough to think about. But I, I don't know. It was it was weird because it like had already happened and it was just kind of like in the past, and I didn't feel like I accomplished anything more than I had already did. But um. I, it kind of served as like a testament to myself of like, okay, I'm a national champion and now I need to prove it on like an, in an actual race. And like, it's kind of helped me focus on myself and think that I didn't just win on like, although I, I, I'll say I did win, but I didn't feel like much of a victory. And I kind of, it like helped me um, hunker down and like focus on training and become in order to become like someone who actually would win national title under like without any um, external externalities affecting the result. Let's dig a little deeper into what you said at the beginning of your answer. I mean, you said it didn't open as many doors as if I had won on the day itself. What do you mean exactly by that? Can you give me a specific example? Well, I, I don't think I've really, if I had like actually won on the day and been recognized as a national champion immediately, I think I, prior to pandemic, the pandemic occurring, I think a lot of, I would have had a lot more, um, notoriety and like eyes on me to, as someone who can like 
for like other for like companies and potential sponsorships sponsors to keep their eyes on and like um i think with the later result it ended up kind of being brushed away as something that mm-hmm. no one really knew about as much and i think that fortunately i've been in a position where i've been able to continue improving and like i like see myself as like finally getting to that level of like I think people would want to sponsor sponsor me. So it's just kind of like recognizing that I kind of lost the opportunity there, but working towards the next one. Has that left a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? <laughs> uh, yeah, it definitely had. I mean, when I found out about the result, I like the next day we had a run on Magnolia Road up here and I thought to myself, all right, I need to prove to myself that I am a national champion and I like deserve to win that. And I like went out and like ran the fastest I'd ever gone on, on Magnolia. And it was just like, I finished and I was like, okay, I do deserve it. Time to keep time to continue proving it. So it's definitely like been a tip of my shoulder, but also something that's helped me to like continually like show that I am somebody who can compete at that level. Take me back to the race day itself when you finished behind Harufi. How did you feel initially? Because prior to that race, his past wasn't exactly what we would call super clean. Well, honestly, I was ecstatic. I had no idea who he was and had no qualms with him winning. I was just like, wow, I was second at my... It was my second national championship, but I don't count the first one. but I like, I don't know. I was super happy with the result because I like was finally in a position where I like competed with the top guys and I like pulled away what I wanted to and um, ultimately executed a race plan that put me in a really good position to win. And I just uh, over the last like hundred meters or so, I looked up and I was like, oh wow, I can actually catch him. And I was pretty, I was closing on him and we were pretty close. But uh, I think I came just a second short. But um. I was super happy. I didn't really know um, the background of the guy. And while we were like waiting in line for the awards, um, I don't remember who, but somebody turned to me and told me that uh, I was being defended on Twitter. And I was like, why? I, I Nothing happened. I, I got second. I'm really proud of that. And looking at it, I saw kind of like the social media outcry of like, uh, this guy's history and like how I'm the people's champion and all this stuff. And I was like, Oh, this, this is a shock. I didn't know about this. Oh, well, I, I looking back, I think I could have beaten him anyway, but next time. So it wasn't like, I don't know. I didn't take it. I wasn't really mad about it in the moment or anything. And ultimately I was never, I don't know, upset or mad at him or anything. I think it's just kind of like, I a few months later I came to the realization that it's like cheating is real in the sport and I in the past wasn't someone who was affected by it but um after like experiencing it firsthand I like realized that all I can do in the moment is still try to beat guys like that who may or may not have had an edge over me so it's just kind of like realizing that it exists and still putting my head down and training to a point where I can still beat people like that. Do you think it will change your perspective when you step on future starting lines, especially at national or global championships? I mean, 
<laughs> it's hard to say, but uh, if when I get to that level, I want to think I'll be in a position where either I'll be someone who can compete against people like that, regardless of any external external um, advantages that they have over me. But also I am hopeful for the sport and that the improvement of holding people accountable in terms of like having better tests done, having better, um, better uh, regulations in place, just kind of protect the athletes against people like that who have had an unfair advantage and ultimately are hurting themselves and their health. So it's just kind of like, I want to be in a position where every athlete is protected and healthy and like able to compete on their own for their after. um, I don't know. It's hard to give it a name without. (laughs) um, I don't know. But you get what I mean. I appreciate it. Yeah, I get it. I appreciate that answer. Thank you. Let's rewind to when you graduated from Furman one more time and you were thinking about your next steps as an athlete. You weren't getting any offers for sponsorship. You knew you were going to have to figure it out on your own. Did you give yourself a timeline in terms of how long you would stick with it before you would quote unquote get a you know, get a real job and maybe leave running behind? Not really. I'm someone who kind of really focuses on the immediate what's going on now. And I like only what I can control. So I honestly didn't really think past this past the end of 2020, just, I knew I wanted to compete and like train for the Olympic trials and the 10 K and that was all I had in my mind. And, um, I think that's helped me a lot because I like really focus on the day to day things and never really dwell on what's to come. Like after, after the 10 K I, my next goal is like the next big thing is to actually get the Olympic standard and run 16 seconds faster than I did that day. But since then, all I've been thinking about is the marathon project because I, I'll be pacing the fast group and I'll be pacing my teammates there. So it's just kind of like, I don't know. I'm really good at shifting focus and like focusing on what's in the immediate future and like not letting other things boggle or interrupt or distract me from what I can control right now. So I didn't really think past this year. I knew I wanted to find a coach in Boulder. I knew I wanted to move here and I did and everything is a lot, I think a lot of my success has been, I can attribute to one, my coach, but also just me focusing on the things I can control and the things that are right immediately ahead of me. Have you always been like that in terms of being able to focus on what's directly in front of you and those things that you can control? Or is that something that you've learned over time? I think I've always been this way. I really, I think it's, I think the one thing I annoy my significant other about is I hate planning things because I like don't. <laughs> I like why are we talk why are we talking about that's like next week let's let's figure out what we're doing for dinner tonight and just like I don't know it's just I think it's just part of my personality of just like I like getting things done right now immediately. 
I can appreciate that. My wife and I have a very similar relationship. She is the Uber planner and she's thinking like three, four weeks out. And I oftentimes don't know what I'm going to do like three or four hours from now because I'm so focused on what it is that I'm doing in, in the moment. And that has definitely caused us to butt some heads at, at times. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. <laughs> Take me back to high school. You, I know you were born in Mexico City. You grew up in Texas. How did you end up at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina? So when I was in high school, I went to an all-guys school, straight Jesuit college preparatory. You may know it from a young, fast lad named Matthew Bowling. And I like to think that I put our school on the map for him. <laughs> but um, anyway, at, at Jesuit, I, I was able to get a state title in cross country. And like I was didn't have the fastest track times. I had run 915 for the 3200 and uh, 416 for the 1600. So there's definitely guys out there that uh, had a kind of a lengthy uh, PR over me. And I knew that like I thrived in cross country and that's just kind of like going into hoping to be recruited on a team. I just like I need to do well on cross country. Uh, this will be, this is like my last season to really prove myself. And ultimately I was able to win the state title. Then the next week or a couple of weeks later, qualify for Nike nationals from the South region. And then I was one of the two people that was able to qualify for foot locker nationals the following week. So I like went from having these, uh, not the top tier times to like being someone who would, was now qualified for, um, I mean, two, two of the biggest high school races in the country. And I was just like, wow, I am somebody now I can make it. And, um, I visited a few schools and honestly didn't really hear or know about Furman until, um, when I went to Foot Locker, the guy who'd won Foot Locker South and my, and eventual like best friend and training partner, Aaron Templeton was like, Hey, you should talk to Furman, check him out. Cause he was, he had already committed. And I ended up meeting, uh, one of my coaches on that trip and, or one of my eventual coaches on that trip. And he kind of convinced me to take a visit. And I visited hoping to hate it. Cause I like had already gone through all yeah. the visits and like college decisions. And was like, I don't want to think about this anymore. And I like, at the time I'd already like, I'm going to commit to Texas A&M and that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to be close to my family, close to the people that I know, and it's going to be great. And um, it really threw a whole wrench in the works in my, into, <laughs> into my like collegiate planning. And I went to Furman, fell in love immediately. And like, I think I told the guys, I think they misheard me at first, but I was like, I really was really hoping to hate it here. And they, I think they had her thought that I had said that I hated it there. and. I very quickly was like, no, no, I was hoping I didn't, I would hate it here, but I absolutely love it. I'm coming here for sure. And, um, yeah. And the rest is history ended up committing and joining the team. When you visited, what was it that made you fall in love with it? Um, so Furman Elite was a pretty prominent group at the time. And, it was, it's a pro group that was, that's trained by our head coach, Robert Gary. And I was like, I think the main thing that drew me to Furman was that 
all these pro athletes are like here doing what I want to do in the future. Um, and they have all the resources that the student athletes have and the same coaches and everything. So that's just kind of like, it's like, if I don't come, if I come here and I try to be the best I can be, I'll find out how good I can be. And I didn't feel that way about other schools and like, just like, I knew for if I come in here, it, if I didn't, if I succeeded or if I didn't succeed, it wouldn't be for lack of effort or lack of resources. So I think it, it was just kind of like, I'm going to be the best I can be here. And that's all, that's all I really cared about. I mean, the, the town was super cool. And like, another big thing was, um, at the time, uh, the team hadn't really accomplished anything per se. Our coaches had just, uh, become part of the staff and like had started up the team and the class before mine was the first class to be recruited by them. So like something that was really special to me was becoming part of a team that was young and like ready to like build something up from the bottom. And we, we all came in with the hopes to being one of the top programs in the country, starting out from winning our conference, the conference title, like the year before for the first time in a while. So it was just kind of like, or the couple of years before and, I don't know. I fell in love with the idea of like building something up with a group of guys that were all kind of at the same level I was at. Was that the first time in your life that you'd spent any significant time away from home? Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, apart from the two weeks or the one week at Boulder running camps every summer, <laughs> um, I'd never really been away from home for that long. Was that a tough transition for you? Not particularly. I, I, it came, the transition came pretty easy to me. And when I got home after my freshman year, I went to this punk rock concert by myself because none of my friends like are as into the music that I, I like. And um, somebody had uh, jumped off the stage and kind of supermaned into the air and ended up punching me in the face. And I like, fell down and was like super kind of upset about it. Got home. My mom was like, what, what happened to you? I was like, Oh, I, that this happened. And she was like, well, you had such a really, really nice year. I think reality just needed to wake you up. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just kind of like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but no, I didn't really struggle with it. But um, my mom likes to think that I, that was my one struggle for the year. How did you develop, as an athlete during your time at Furman? My first couple of years, I had, I had a lot of success in cross country and, um, on the, the following seasons for the track, I would always, I, we found after the first few years that I don't do well with, um, time off of running the first like year after like cross country nationals, I took two weeks off started running again and then like ended up having it band trouble for kind of like the rest of the season. And like the next year was similar. And, um, once we figured that out, our like transition from cross to track was just like run every other day, pretty easy, but like still get your run in and like still do keep up with the main and stuff. And like, um, ever since I have stopped taking like true breaks and like doing nothing, I have been able to consistently train and like my 
if you look at my PR progression through college, you, you that kind of like that all speaks to the times that I ran. I had a, I think my my freshman year PR, I ended up running fourteen thirty five, fourteen thirty seven in the five k, and then didn't really come close to that until my junior year. Once this was all figured out, and I ran. 1406 or 1410 or something like that. It was just like, oh, all I needed to do was <laughs> figure out that one blip in the training. And I was finally starting to have the results that I wanted. And like through um through finally figuring that out and like um going into my last couple of cross-country seasons, I saw myself as one of the top guys in the country. And I the results ultimately those seasons didn't speak to that, but I knew I was on that level and like my teammates were on that level. So it just kind of like it, it was hard to not have um, proof of what I thought that I could do. But I, I think that I was able to put out the results that I had in the past in the back out of my mind and just, after unsuccessful cross country seasons, I was able to make it to NCAAs on the track my junior year for the first time, and ultimately didn't have. I never had a the race that I wanted at national championships, but I was finally able to make it to the national meets, and that was such a cool experience. And then I, the following years, I was able to make it my junior, senior, and then fifth year. Um, Ultimately, I didn't have the races I wanted, but I, I think I came a long way from being pretty consistently heard on the track to now, like being able to figure out how to qualify for these events and actually doing it. When you finished up your time at Furman, did you just have this feeling that there was unfinished business that you had to take care of as a runner? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean. Um, before the uh, 2019 track championships at the University of Texas, I thought for sure that was going to be the best race of my life. And like I was going to get all these sponsors and have everything, um, have all the success that I like always dreamed of. Because like one, it was in Texas where our state meet was every year. So I like had always like loved competing there and wanted to be there again in college. Um, and... I even I talked to Richie the night before and he had like every confidence in me, although he didn't know anything about my training or what I was doing that I could be somebody that competes up there. But like coming off that race, I definitely felt like I didn't accomplish what I wanted to get done in college. And um, I knew I wanted to keep training and it, it was hard to, well, it wasn't hard. It was, it was weird to not have the results to speak of that I like thought I had the ability to like to do. And like, I think I got a taste of that through my early road races through my first year as a pro, like not really being recognized as somebody who competed at that level to like at the Houston half marathon. I didn't even get into the elite field. I had to like, start with the field behind them and um, coming to terms with this is where I'm at now. I need to prove that I can become the next level. And 
like at Houston, I ended up um, at the start, like weaving through everyone and like making it up to my teammates and like actually being with the lead American pack and ended up running with a bunch of really good guys that day. Like a lot of really good guys ran really fast that day and I ended up, ended up running 61, uh, 48 if you look at the chip time. 61.50 if you look at the gun time. But that's just because I was behind everybody. Yeah, you had to make up that um, ground. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I was just It was just kind of like one step at a time, like proving to myself that I, I am at that level and I can like actually do it. And like in these races, we're all the were all the guys that beat me in college and I, I like knew I wanted to beat them in college and like nothing had changed since then. Just, I found myself a lot more ready to do it. That feeling of having something to prove, is it something that you have carried with you your entire life, even outside of running? Um, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that I, I like to, I, I'm someone who, when they find some, when I find something that I like really love, I end up being like fully immersed in it and just like, I'm someone who can become really passionate about something really, really quickly. And like, from that, I've, uh, uh, taught myself to play the piano and like taught myself to play the guitar and just like stuff like that. Just like, I like I saw somebody do something once and like oh that's really cool and I'm like I want to learn to do that so I like uh my YouTube history is a lot of like how to do this how to do this so it's just kind of like I don't know I I like um finding or when I see something that I really like I I like looking into how it comes about and how you can do it yourself so I think that's just kind of part of like how I I can focus on things and become, and I've become really passionate about what I love doing. Where do you think that curiosity comes from? Um, it's hard to say my growing up, I, I like most small boys, I, anything I got my hands on, I would break to figure out what was inside and understand how things work. So I like, I've always been someone who's very, curious about how to do things and how things work. And, um, looking back, I wish I'd, I think if I wasn't as good at running as I am, I would have gone into a biomechanics, human performance field of research and stuff like that. And that's still kind of in the back of my mind as something that I might be interested in the future, depending on how long I'm able to continue being passionate about running. But, um, not really sure where it stems from. I mean, my dad is, uh, he owns his own company and basically does like a lot of contracting work. And like growing up, I did a lot of, um, like electrical stuff and like building things around like different properties. So I think, I think I've always been like a hands-on person who likes to understand how things are built just from what I've kind of been put through. It it's interesting to hear you say that because the dots are starting to connect. Earlier in this conversation, you were talking about how when you chose to join Roots Running and Coach Richie Hansen, part of what was appealing to you was that he had that scientific explanation for things. Like, hey, this is why we're doing what we're doing, or this is why we're gonna do, you know, what we're what we're going to do. And it seemed to just jive with how you've thought about things throughout your entire life. 
Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I didn't even, I never even thought about that. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of all a testament of who I am and what, how I see the world and what I love to understand about it. Talk to me a bit about your transition from Furman out to Boulder, Colorado, and joining the Roots Running Group and running for. Richie, what was that transition like? You're going from sea level to altitude, collegiate to pro. I'd love to understand more what that was like for you. I mean, so I'll say this: my my the end of my year of my time at Furman, I had kind of it was my fifth year, and I'd like gotten all my classes and courses done and out of the way, and I was honestly kind of living the pro life I'm living now just <laughs> I might have been a little easier because I didn't have to work and I didn't have like a lot of other things to worry about. But um the transition I think ended up being pretty um manageable just because like this is our it was already the lifestyle that I like had tried to seek out at the end of college. I like maneuvered my way through like um past failing previous classes I'd already taken to like only have to take one class my final semester. And like, um, my last semester at Furman was just like training, um, play the new Spider-Man game, training, <laughs> sleep, rest. That was kind of like the gist of it. And <laughs> if you ask Aaron, who was my roommate, he would tell you, yep, that was all he did. <laughs> um, but like now, um, being here, it's, kind of it's i i'm a lot more proud of uh of like what it's taken to become as um competitive as i am because i have learned to like um manage a job and like manage um all the things that come from like moving and like uh all the different like adult things that i didn't really no existed until now and like outside of that the training itself was came super super easily because i richie obviously someone who like i like explained i like we had kind of a sit down where i like gave him all the stuff that i was doing all through college and like all my training and um he kind of took me through how the transition was going to be and like my final year at Furman, I was running 85 miles a week or so on singles. And um, then my first year here, I did like 70 to 75 because we're at altitude and it's just very different to like actually train here than to like only be here for a summer. And that, that took some getting used to, but I think out training at altitude isn't as bad once you're used to it. The one thing that I haven't been able to become accustomed to is racing at altitude. There's mm -hmm. nothing harder than that. I like the, the comfortable thing about training out here is that you'll do workouts and you're like, Oh, I'm running so slow. I don't feel good. And then you realize, realize, Oh wait, I'm at altitude. This is actually a pretty good workout for me. From a training standpoint or what you've changed with your training since you've moved out to Boulder, what, if anything, do you think has contributed to some of your breakthroughs over the past year? I think a a big thing that has changed in my training is like 
now I'll have hard day, hard workout days. And like, we'll do all of our hard workout stuff like on that day and like all of our lifting and everything. And then like my easy days, I haven't, all of my easy days are like 7.15, normally 7.30 pace. And, um, and I like only focus on like recovering and don't do like, um, as much ancillary stuff as I did at Furman. I think at Furman, I ended up doing like a lot on my own, just like thinking, Oh, I have to do all this stuff to be good. So I ended up doing, I think overdoing a lot of things that I like ultimately was kind of wearing myself out trying to get all this stuff done and just to, just in my head to have an edge on everybody. But I think that I like a big factor now is just like, I'm actually letting myself recover and rest. And I go into every race feeling super good and super fresh. Cause I like have taken the time to focus on like letting my body relax and only, only stressing it out when it needs to be stressed. And, um, I think that's kind of been a big factor. Um, when I was at Furman, I, I went to see our athletic trainer probably like three or four times a week. I I wasn't hurt or anything towards the end. I was just like trying to do everything I could to be good. So I like had like, um, like grass and treatments, like three to four times a week, like way more than anyone ever needs to do anything. And like now, like from just like recovering and like taking it easy on, on, uh, more days of the week than I, then I work hard. It's just kind of like, I don't really need, um, as much like recovering recuperative treatments that I would like was coddled with when I was in college. And like, ultimately I wouldn't be able to get that kind of stuff as easily as I did at Furman. Um, Richie is actually a chiropractor. So he's someone we like, he treats us like maybe once every couple weeks, sometimes more depending on what you need. But like, I, have found that I like definitely was doing a lot more um, to recover in college, just or not to recover, but to like counteract mm-hmm. the fatigue that I was like putting myself through. So like, I found that like giving myself actual ample time to recover and like rest has been like the biggest change for me. I think it's uh, a big factor to the success I'm having now. Do you think any of that behavior in college, like doing all the ancillary work, going to the training room multiple times per week, do you think any of that stemmed from insecurity or a lack of self-confidence in yourself? Um, I mean, at the time I was like, this is what you have to do to be good. So I, I don't, looking back on it, I think that if the results had been happening and I had been doing what I was doing now, I wouldn't have tried to change that but like the results weren't happening. So I figured something's wrong. So I have to do more stuff. So it was definitely like, I don't know. I, I think the, I, I knew that the only way that um, a transition would work well is if I bought into everything that Richie was telling me to do from the start. And like, I only ever do what he tells me to do and don't like, branch anywhere outside of that and that's i think that's just kind of like um a big factor of like what i of to my success was just like committing to the new program and not worrying about anything that you did in the past um my first like 
workout with the team. I was like doing drills that I was doing at Furman and uh, Noe Drotti was like, Hey, stop that. We don't do that here anymore. I was like, Oh yeah, different team, <laughs> different system. So like, I don't know, he, he got me out of that really quick. So like when he said that, I was like, okay, all in all this, this is what we're doing. Are you more confident now than you ever have been in the past? Yes. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. I looking back, I feel like I was extremely confident in the past, but just like had nothing to show for it. And, um, I think that I have the same confidence, but just now it lingers a lot more later into races. And like now when I'm like looking up with a quarter mile to go next to Scott Fobble and Tyler day, I'm like, Oh wow. I am in a position where I can beat some really good guys or, and I'm no longer. The thing is in the past, I was never in that position. So I like, it's hard to say how I would have been, how I would have uh, felt mentally, but um, now it's just, uh, I don't know. It's a lot more fun to compete when things are going as you had hoped they would. In the past, did you feel like those guys were out of your league? Um, <laughs> looking at results, yes. Getting on the starting line, I, did, I never felt anyone was out of my league. I <laughs> um around halfway through the race, I did start to feel that, but, um, I don't know. I think, uh, it's when you're young and you're like competing against really good guys, a lot of, uh, you, you don't really know whether you're there until it happens. And, um, and you won't really get there unless you have some kind of blind confidence in yourself that I'm just as good as those guys are couple more questions before we wrap up here. Earlier, you mentioned how after the 15K champs earlier this year and after you had been crowned national champion once Harufi was sanctioned for, for doping, you realized like, hey, that that's a part of this sport and it's something that I have to be aware of and pay attention to on some level. Aside from that, what have been your biggest learnings in your first year or so as a professional athlete? I think the biggest lesson I've taken from not only my first year as a professional athlete, but um, the pandemic and everything is uh, I've learned that how much work goes into putting on races and how much work goes into getting me on the starting line, not just from um, like my training personally, but from my coaches to like my friends, the people around me, um, my teammates and like um, not only that, but all the planning that goes behind, like putting on major events, like all the different event, like all the different uh, pandemic events that happen from just like the like Michigan pro half marathon and Ekaden that Hanson's uh, Brooks distance project put on. That was like a testament to like how much people care about the sport. And I was I like was super grateful to have like still have opportunities to race. Although like all these things have been canceled and like, I don't know, it's been really cool to see how much people are invested in the sport that it really motivates me to like go out there and like thank them with being be running training as, as well as I can to run as fast as I can at their events. So I think gratitude is the main thing that I've learned from 
all of this. Last question, and I have a feeling that you're you're not gonna like it because you're such an in the moment type of guy. But what would a great 2021 look like for Frank Lara? <laughs> a great 2021 would look like um, I run the Olympic standard in the 10K. I defend my 15K national title in Florida, and I come just short of making the Olympic team. Now, an amazing, awesome uh, 2021, which is what I'm hoping and training for, will be all of those things plus making the Olympic team in the 10K. I love it. I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Frank, it's been super fun. Thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. I am super appreciative of you having me. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this week's episode. As we start 2021, Tracksmith continues their tradition of encouraging no days off. It's their annual call for patience, persistence, and participation in running. Tracksmith is shipping a free no days off poster with every order to encourage that commitment to consistency. And it goes on while supplies last. So get your order in today at tracksmith.com. Additionally, they're offering new customers $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more when you use the code MARIO15 at checkout. That's MARIO15 when you check out at tracksmith.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you will love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. 